My next guest has a background in cognitive neuroscience, and he's an expert in artificial intelligence. Today, we're going to sit down and we're going to flesh out AI and its implications for business, for individuals. The launch of ChatGPT really captured people's imaginations, and our guest summarized it beautifully. Excited, but appropriately freaked out. Sit back, relax, and welcome to Shift. I have Ian Hargreaves, a data fellow with the ATB Bank. Ian, you had done an interview with Collisions YYC podcast with Tyler Chisholm. I think this was back in April 2023. Things have changed since then, somewhat. Well, look, uh, John, I've been looking forward to this conversation, honestly. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and uh, yes, things things have changed. Uh, I would say, um, you know, in, in the last... Uh, Boy, I, I joined ATB as a data scientist about eight years ago. Uh, you know, I've been in the artificial intelligence space for some time. I've never seen things move this quickly, not in terms of uh, the advancement of the technology itself, the, the commercialization of it, and the public awareness of artificial intelligence and what it means for our lives, uh, as well as all of the conversations around legislation and the law and what are we going to do about it to make sure it's serving our best interests. Yeah, we'll dive into that for sure. You know, when I and, and we start talking about dates, there's there's you know, there's some significant ones that come to mind. You think about twenty sixteen or so and kind of the in the, the beginning of facial recognition and artificial intelligence use of that and how they were analyzing Flickr data sets. And then twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, that introduction and that you know, the more thoughtful thinking around ethical AI, and then of course November November 2022 with the launch of uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT, but then even if we shorten that a little bit, I think back to your interview with uh, with Tyler and and folks. I'm going to put the link into uh, Ian and Tyler's interview because I I really think it sets the stage and some great information there. But that was in April, and since then we've had Jeffrey Hinton, widely regarded as the godfather of AI. He moved on from Google in May, so a month after you had that discussion. We've also had our Inventures Conference where we had, uh, you know, Ian B. Craft. This is where I first met you, Ian, and Tim Nick Gabru. And just for, for full disclosure, ATB was our title sponsor for Inventures. So it was, it was, uh, you know, under that pretext, I suppose, that I met Ian and some of your colleagues. But those initial conversations, Ian, that you and I had were fascinating. And the conversations I was having at others at Inventures were fascinating. Even in that three month period, things have changed. So now when you look at this, the fast moving implications of what's going on with such a profound technology, what are your thoughts? How do you, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm throwing out a massive kind of no specific question, but what are your thoughts in that speed and how do we need to get in front of that? The proposed legislation B20, build C27 that I think hit second reading. Um, what do you think? Yeah, look, I think, um, uh, I think like everyone, uh, I am excited and, uh, you know, afraid at, at the same time. I think, I think that's, I think that's sort of the same, uh, uh feeling in, in your gut. And it's just sort of how, how your brain is interpreting it that day. Uh, there is, like you say, an, an incredible opportunity and things are moving faster than, than certainly I've ever seen them in my career. Uh, 
Uh, a lot of that is due, you know, for better or worse, to um, uh, OpenAI, who released ChatGPT to the world, and I think that was a real tipping point in the in the public awareness of artificial intelligence and what it is and what it can do. Um, you know, you mentioned that you know we've actually been using generative AI for years, or sorry, artificial intelligence for years. We've actually been using artificial intelligence for years. Um, you know, with uh, since 2014, we've seen incredible advances in computer vision and uh, speech to text, uh, natural language recognition of all kinds. Um, you know, but the the artificial intelligence systems of old were uh, many of them use tools like machine learning to to discriminate content, to try to decide if I was looking at a picture of a cat or a dog. Right? We would train these networks on. Uh, you know, all kinds of images, and then uh, they were labeled either cat or dog, cat or dog. And over time, the, these artificial systems would learn to discriminate between these two classes. So you could show that a cat it had never seen before, and with a degree of certainty, it would say cat. Um, you know, that that core ability, discriminative AI, uh, powered a whole range of products, everything from sort of um, uh, face recognition uh, stop sign recognition, you know, we can extract information from forms and we've seen that AI fold into our product in a very invisible way. It was never front and center. And, and I think this was the big, the big shift. Uh, you know, we've had AI silently guiding, uh, recommendations on content to watch on YouTube, your, your top feed through Netflix, um, uh, the path you take, uh, if you ever use Google Maps to get from A to B, is going to be automatically load balanced using an AI, but it's an invisible part of the user experience. What shifted with generative AI is we've, we've taken these AIs that, these AI systems that learn from data, that learn from uh, everything that's ever been written, right? We, we train them over massive amounts of text, and out of that, they're able to generate new text. Right? And, and the interesting thing here is that the, the output of the artificial intelligence system is actually what we're interested in. We say, hey, write me, write me an essay at a grade 12 level on some historical event and, uh, and, and, and you know, make it fun and it'll do it. Right. <laughs> right. And, and you can then say, no, make it make it a little bit more fun and it'll do it. And that's the first working draft. And that that changes everything. Sure. But we wouldn't have known the diversity of use cases, or even if people would be interested in that, um, if OpenAI hadn't released ChatGPT and Dolly to the world. And I think it's our reaction to it, you know, that, that has caused a reaction in, in industry and, uh, and you know, in, in government as we, as we uh, collectively have to sort of deal with, okay, like, well, here's a whole new thing that AI can do that it's never been able to do before or we haven't been aware of. And it can power a lot of different types of products. And so we have a lot of companies trying to figure out, well, how do we commercialize this? How do we use this to, to predict stock market trends? How do we use this to generate commercial photography or art that hasn't existed before? How do we use it to write code to save time for software developers? Um, at the same time, we have important questions being asked about, well, cool, but what if it's wrong? What if the generative content is, is biased, inaccurate? What do we do if we mine information from, from these artists and they don't get paid for the AI-generated art that's based on the photos that they actually took? You know, who, how do we, who gets compensated for this stuff? And how do we deal with the, with the labor disruption when you're not spending an hour 
uh, creating that first draft of a presentation because the generative AI gets you there in about five minutes and then you just, you just do some fine tuning. So, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild three months. <laughs> so, but then, now that's interesting when you say that, because yeah, you know, it is, it's, it's a great tool to kind of get us off the ground and that, and that first step, uh, that first draft, but we get so caught up in this. And this makes me think of a, a comment you made uh, in an earlier podcast when you're talking, you said, you said, think of AI as a horizontal. You have dedicated research teams for advancing the front lines of AI. So that's all happening in the post-secondaries. They're concerned with the frontiers of AI. But for the, for the, the rest of us, the entrepreneurs, the private citizens who are just using ChatGPT, the students, we're grinding through these tools. We're using them. We're having fun with them. We're wondering how they fit into our business. But we're very focused vertically. So we're very focused on how it impacts us. But AI, as you know, is, is one of those things that's, it's got huge, broad, horizontal implications. How do we think about that? And what, in your estimation, what, what is the thought that the, you know, regular people need to give to these tools as they're using them? Because we used AI, or pardon me, uh, the internet when it first came out, well, I don't know, 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago. And we just got caught up in, you know, this is, text on a on a web page that I can share with someone in Toronto. Wow, that's cool. And now there's movies and videos and all the deep fakes, you know, using AI. What is the responsibility that a, an individual or a business has, a small business starting up that wants to use artificial intelligence? And apologies if I'm putting you on the spot, but uh, you feel like someone I can put on this I, I can put on the spot. <laughs> I'll roll with it. I'll roll with it as best I can. Um, look, uh, I think I think that's our individual responsibility. Um, I think uh, you know we we maybe have a responsibility to be curious about new technologies. Uh, I think I, I do believe, and, and others do, that artificial intelligence—not just generative artificial intelligence, but artificial intelligence—is a horizontal event. Like you say, it is a technology that will continue to advance. And out of that will come many, many vertical intersections where it hits your life somehow. And maybe it's a productivity enhancing tool like, hey, well, you just had a meeting. I listened to everything you said and I summarized the action items for you. Or it, it, we can save you time creating a first draft of the document. Uh, maybe, maybe it's something else. I think for us, uh, there's, there's a an opportunity to be curious and to sort of lean into this and understand, well, well, what, what good can this do? How can I use this? How can I use this to actually sort of reimagine my work? Because the worst thing would be uh, for us to be sort of chasing, chasing them, right? Trying to sort of stick, stick to the tried and true blade. At the same time, um, you know, I think, I think our individual responsibility is really some more about education and whether, whether that's, that's not our, our responsibility to to go do a bunch of research but again in that vein of being curious to to learn about this technology what it is and what is what it isn't uh from sources you trust i think the good news there is that uh you know education on data education on the flow of data and how we build and train ai systems that is easier and easier to come by and there are some incredible resources. And we have some incredible organizations even here in Alberta who do uh, uh, great work with data and AI literacy. Um, you know, just thinking of 
uh, the Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute, for instance. They have some truly fantastic programming there. And so, you know, for us as individual citizens, I think it's up to us to sort of be curious and stay connected with a few evolving conversations. One, uh, what does this AI tooling look like? What can I do with it? Where is it going? Uh, two, data, your data, privacy. How should you be thinking about these things? And, and there, you mentioned Bill C-27. There are a number of conversations that we can stay connected to that are happening at a federal level right now um, where where it it is worth paying attention to how the government is thinking about, well, who really owns your data? And, and what are their responsibilities to you every time they use it? They need to be able to explain uh, how its use is in your best interest. And, and that requires us to think differently Every time we give our data away, every time we subscribe to something new, every time we click yes to sharing, we need to be mindful of what is being shared and with who and to what end. And, and the more we can think about that, I think the more that that incoming legislation makes sense. For businesses then, for businesses, I think they have a, just a much greater responsibility to be tracking these conversations at federal level. They need to be aware of emerging standards coming out of the International Organization for Standardization, ISO, um, because these are the standards that they will be audited by if they are in the business of building things out of data. And so I think I think from both a um, sort of ethical perspective and, and a, uh, just in, in terms of the sort of overall accountability of it, um, you know, businesses in particular need to be aware of uh, the sort of emerging conversations happening at the federal level, uh, as well as, you know, that advice around education, that goes doubly for businesses. Um, you know, awareness internally. What's your own awareness internally about um, data, artificial intelligence, how it can be used, how it can be used safely, and how that can potentially impact or disrupt your own business model? Uh, and you know what? When I asked that question, I had it kind of in the back of my mind, education as being the prime focus, especially for, you know, the, the individual. So I'm, I'm glad you hit that right on, on the head because as it changes quickly, we need to understand what, what all of the implications are. And people typically respond to kind of the, the, you know, the, the fear mongering that's out there. Um, you know, you hear someone like Jeffrey Hinton who moves on because he's, he doesn't like how, uh, you know, the American, uh, um, military establishment is, is talking about using AI to create more effective weapons, uh, self healing minds, for example, which is beyond me, uh, how something like that could be created. Um, so they read that. There was also an article uh, that just came out on The Logic today or yesterday, I believe, and it says, the headline is, AI, a threat to humanity. Many of Canada's AI leaders think that's outlandish. Apocalyptic warnings will slow the development of rules needed to govern the technology, some argue. And then on the flip side, having businesses abiding by these standards that they're going to be judged by. So it's it's... It's critical that I, I think people get on top of that. So can I put you on the spot again? And can you flesh out Bill C-27 for me and the listeners so we understand what it's about, what its implications are? Well, you know, that's probably not where I I am an expert. Um, uh, I'm, you know, I like everyone in my area, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm tracking that bill uh, and I'm very interested in it. 
um, you know, but uh, so, but I'm fortunate actually at ATB to have uh, colleagues like Yukon Chang who heads up our responsible AI practice at ATB, and we have a number of uh, individuals who specialize in data governance uh, and who work very closely with our internal model risk management teams to make sure that uh, as conversations about data ownership, privacy, transparency, uh, and and the responsible usage of that data evolve. Uh, our organization is, is connected to those conversations. Oh, perfect. Um, okay. So, we, the, sorry. Go ahead. The really interesting thing about about Bill C twenty seven is that mm-hmm. it 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 does bring the focus around to sort of well, who what are, what are the responsibilities of those organizations who are collecting data, who are then using that data for business purpose to the oh, true owner of the data, which is the person who generated it. Right. All right. If I have an account with your business, my account is, uh, I'm doing things with that account. I'm, I'm creating transactions. Those are records in your system. Yes, you can use those records to to predict maybe the products and services I'm interested in. Um, when do I need to be aware of those predictions as they're impacting how you relate to me? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, do I need to be able to... Um, uh, and, and the answer is yes. Like what we're going to see is, is that organizations need to explain how they're using your data, um, and essentially how they're using it in your interest, and 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 in, in plain language that the end user can understand. Mm-hmm. And in order to get there, a lot of things need to change in how data is collected, and and how we trace data lineage, and how we manage metadata on on top of data, and you know the the implementation and the auditing the system that actually allows us to do that is. Um, is, is going to be a change that's slow. But the, the upside there is, is, I guess, that fundamental shift in, in you know, for, for Canadians about, well, where does my data go? Who uses it? And, and what obligations do they have to me to explain how that's being done? So Build C27 helps get us there. Now, is Bill C-27, in your estimation, uh, a fairly contemporary piece of legislation, or is it uh, is it maybe lagging behind other countries? Europe, I think, as you mentioned previously to me in one of our past conversations, uh, Europe tends to be ahead of the curve yeah, quite often. Yeah, this is where Europe really has led the way. And yeah, there's some goodness there for uh, for us here in Canada and that we can really sort of borrow what what has worked uh, from European legislation and, and understand sort of the, the consequences um, across the board for, for the things that maybe didn't work so well. But the, the recent news um, in June 14th was uh, the, the sort of approvals behind uh, the AI Act in, in the European Union. And, and so this act is really, um, uh, instead of being focused on data privacy, ownership, stewardship, transparency, accountability, it's really more focused on AI systems themselves. So when we build an AI system of data, uh, what are the rules of the use cases where we can and can't build these systems? So, so your cases of weaponizing artificial intelligence mm-hmm. would be explicitly ruled out. Anything that violates human rights or um, uh, facial recognition uh, for identification, certain facial recognition use cases are, would be ruled out. Um, anything that may have a negative impact on the environment or democracy may be ruled out, and that includes things like the recommendation engines that power social networks. That's very interesting, because, of, uh, and it, of course, it raises the question of bad actors, um, you know, and how they're going to use AI. So I, I, I get having legislation that's going to, you know, put these, rule these 
potentially nefarious things out. But on the flip side, and maybe this is a leading point into some of the work that's being done in terms of banking, um, you're going you're gonna to create legislation to create, you know, um, good, great databases uh, that that can be that AI can then be modeled on. How does that prevent a bad actor from, say, trying to infiltrate a banking system with with nefarious AI? And we could be getting kind of sci-fi here. Or I'm not sure, but it, this is such early days, you know, Ian. Like it's. You guys are doing great work with ATB with it, but how does that stop someone who's wants to do great work for you know the 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 dark side, so to speak? Right. Yeah. Look, that's a that's an incredible question, and so I think um, here's how I'd actually approach answering that one. And and I think the the answer is one of the biggest changes in artificial intelligence is um, who is at the table. Um, if if I look back over the last ten years. Whenever we would talk about artificial intelligence, you know, those early years, it was academics, it was data scientists, it was it was technologists. And these were the folks who were at the table. I'm just trying to sort of work to understand, well, how can we use AI to, to do good? How can we use AI to spot things like fraud? And um, and these are longstanding applications. You know, we do use artificial intelligence systems to spot fraudulent transactions or try to sort of uh, identify anything that seems out of the ordinary in any of our information technology systems. Um, but nowadays, I think more and more AI is, um, there are more roles at the table, right? So when we used to hire for a data scientist, we'd meet someone who could code, who could think through products, tell a great story, sell. Uh, you know, we needed a we needed a scientist slash marketer slash evangelist kind of all rolled up into one, and, and and so we were trying to sort of hire this unicorn position. But nowadays, when we're constructing a, a an AI team, we have data scientists, we have product managers, we have software developers, we have um, governance specialists, we have we have you know uh, the ability to pull in legal experts. We have um, a diverse number of perspectives around the table in the creation of AI systems. And when we go to put those AI systems into production, we have conversations about ethics. We have conversations about governance, about supporting it through its operational lifecycle. We chat with architects. We chat with uh, information security specialists who audit every every element of the system. And so, and so, I guess to your your question about like, well, um, how do you hey, I mean, prevent bad I mean, actors? It's getting more complicated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well. It, it is, and, and, and that's where we need everyone at the table. And I think actually that's the good change is that more and more um, roles are needed around that table. And as AI continues to expand and evolve and mature, we're going to need a greater diversity of perspectives around the table if we're, if we're ever going to build AI systems that folks can trust. And, and that's really important. That's you know, the absolute most important thing. Yeah, and I think that's key there is that trust. And, and, uh, because we're going to become more dependent on it as the years go by. And, you know, there was a great talk that, uh, Tim Nick Gabru gave at Adventures about that bias, uh, in, in the data that's being cleaned and prepared. And also, uh, which was a huge revelation for me was, you know, data going off into what, what's akin to like a data sweatshop in a third world country where people are, combing through it and determining whether something is, 
you know, you know, how it's, it's to be tagged and whether it's, uh, toxic or not toxic, you know, this is, you know, you don't want to look at this because this is horrifying, but this is, this is okay. This picture of a cat versus perhaps, you know, someone getting, um, tortured, uh, and, and data is right across the board. So how do you describe to me ATB's kind of process? You've been with the company for eight years. How did it start for ATB? With that, was it you coming in? Was it had it already begun? Where's it at? Really good question. Um, so I think I was the first person at ATB um, with the title data scientist. However, um, you know, ATB and financial institutions in general have been using data for a long time in order to help make um, really important decisions, like how much how much credit should we give someone? How do we spot fraud? And these are these are domains where um, using uh, statistics, applied statistics, advanced statistics, and eventually artificial intelligence, where you can do a lot of good. Um, when I joined the organization, though, it was in a small team uh, founded by Dylan Roth, uh, and our intent was to see where we could identify new opportunities for artificial intelligence. And so we were essentially like a small team of mercenary scientists and we would go out into the business and I would hang out with people and I would buy them cups of coffee and say, well, tell me about your business. How do you make money? How does a call center work? And I would work to sort of understand the flow of information through that call center. And I would work then to understand, well, if I build a model that uh, connects um, your service calls with team members who are amazing at service calls, how, how does that do good for us? Does that help our clients? And, and that was that was the model. Uh, so it was very scrappy. It was very early days. And the, the awareness of data science, of artificial intelligence uh, in industry uh, as, a, as something that could do a lot of good, generate revenue, save time, uh, head off complaints, uh, that it was, it was really sort of early days. Over time, though, we built that awareness. And, and what we had to do was completely reimagine our practice. So whereas we started with, data scientists or going out, building models to try to do good, what we ended up with and where we are today uh, in the team led by Yonka Coppins, my leader, uh, is, is basically full stack software development and delivery. So what we're building now are AI systems, systems that can automate the pushing of paper, right? When you, uh, when you, um, uh, when you buy a home, uh, the amount of paperwork involved from government companies, uh, from sorry, government agencies, third-party insurance companies, other, right, is, is bewildering. It comes from all over. You can drown in a sea of paper. To, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. So we can, we can build AI systems to, to save time, Mike. And, and to date, those systems, they've saved 10 years of life that would have been spent uh, reading through boring paperwork and manually entering that into our systems. So so our, our whole approach to lining up against where those opportunities for AI are have been completely transformed through the vision of our head of data, uh, Dan Sennett. And he's really helped us as an organization align against like, well, here's for a bank where AI can do good. And what we're going to do is build full systems that actually go and do that thing. But we're going to support them as a team. And, and we have cross-functional teams of data scientists, product managers, project managers, like uh, 
architects, information security, whoever is needed, we, we bring them to the table uh, in order to build a, a true AI system. And we partner with our partners in governance who are, right, we work shoulder to shoulder with to make sure that it's auditable and to make sure that we're monitoring those outputs for fairness and to also make sure that we're aligning against a changing definition of what fairness is going to need to mean in the eyes of the governance uh, in, of the government and in the eyes of the consumer. That is fascinating. I, I love to hear about that trajectory uh, moving forward. Now, when you first started talking about it, you said uh, you, you're talking about the call center, you understand what they're doing, and then you build a model. Just and, and I'm very interested in what building a model would look like, and I'm assuming a lot of our listeners would be as well. So is that like developing an algorithm or an if-then statement? You know, pick up the phone, answer the phone, uh, person needs this sort of uh, direction, provide them that. Like, is, is that how you're building a model? Yeah. You're, you're, honestly, that is, that is it. That is it at a high level. Like, okay, what, yeah. you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to map a system by which a job gets done. Okay. Right. So, so take that call center example. You have a system where people call in. They need to talk to someone to get some banking advice. Um, they have a question. They're waiting in a queue. We're then going to, of the available team members there, direct them to a person, and they're going to have a conversation. Um, based on that conversation, they're either happy, <laughs> we fix everything, or, or we hope we fix everything. Um, if not, maybe they they have to. Maybe they call back. Uh, uh, maybe there's sort of additional additional downstream stuff that happens. We want to avoid that stuff. We want to connect them with the best, most qualified person available. Cool. Well, if that's our goal, then what we can do is we can say, well, look, of those available team members, how do things go when they have these conversations? Um, can I predict how this conversation is likely to go given what I know of the, the person in queue and what I know about the skills of the team members we have available based on the data we have? And, and so what you would do as a data scientist is you would pull together the, the data you need to begin to answer those questions. And each of those is sort of a question within a broader system, right? You, you, you slice it into the smallest question you can, and then you, you build an algorithm or you train a simple model that can, that can solve that piece of the puzzle. And then you build those pieces together. You sort of stitch them together to try to, try to improve that overall outcome. And, and always, always, that is an AI system working in partnership with a human. That is like a, that is a, a recommend their algorithm like Netflix where, where they say, hey, based on people like you, I think you're going to like this. <laughs> but, but it's up to the person to go like, do I like this? Right? Am I going to watch that? Right? And so very much in the same way, that is how we would, we would begin tackling these sort of early days of a, of a data science practice. Interesting. So now as, as the person goes, do I really like this or do I not really like this? Does that inform then the AI? That's exactly it. Okay. So then the AI goes, no, well, that didn't work. That is exactly it. Okay. You update your parameters and, and you, you try to do better next time. Now, again, this goes back and, and I'm referencing your previous uh, podcast with Tyler again, but um, you were talking about uh, making sure that you're aligning to the right problems as a business. And this makes me think of Tim Nitgebru's question. Just because if we just because we have access to artificial intelligence, do we need to use artificial intelligence? This is huge, and it's honestly, uh, um, in my experience, you know, having sort of um, been on the ground, uh, building sort of uh, AI systems and, and leading teams 
as well as now in my current role as a fellow, more sort of advising teams as we tackle problems. Um, it's the bookends of AI that are really the hard part. So meaning, have you found the right problem? Have you found a meaningful problem that it makes sense to solve where we're where using data, using a prediction is going to improve upon the situation and is going to lead to an outcome that you value. Um, and then the, the other piece of the bookend is the change at the end, right? You can build a model, you can source that data, you can train a model that will make a perfect recommendation. If someone doesn't believe you, if, they, if their behavior doesn't change, if, if no good happens at, at the end of that, then it didn't matter. Then it absolutely didn't matter. And so, you know, it's that it's aligning against the right problem and making sure that that is aligned with your values and your mission statement and, you know, what, what drives, you know, the, the direction of your business. If, if this is a business context, you need to align it to your business model. You know, if we're a financial services company, um, we need to uh, keep our clients. We need to grow their wealth. Well, I need to understand how to build models to do that. We need to make smart lending decisions. Right, so people don't get into trouble. Uh, well, we need to build models to do that. We need to do everything as efficiently as possible. Fine, those are three huge areas that are tied to the core of, of our business. You know, maybe we can use AI to do good um, in in sort of other areas. But um, you know, so long as our so long as what we're doing is sort of solving for a problem in one of those areas, it's it's probably going to be of value to the business. Um, and then always, always, it's important to consider you know, the, the, the person, the, the sort of ultimate impact, which is, is this going to help someone? Like the end user, the person who gave us their data, is this going to help them and how? And and so like those those two considerations, and you mentioned Tim, I think she did a, a wonderful job of, of uh, walking you through how sometimes those two motives can become disconnected and the risks when those two motives become disconnected that, you know, um, Individuals become sort of the product as organizations use their data for a, for a purpose that benefits the organization and not the end user. Right? And, and, and one of the great things about Bill C-27 is that this incoming legislation will make, will expose that situation. When that is happening, it, it will now be exposed. And so every or, any organization that's building AI today in Canada should be aligning to these standards with the full expectation that whatever you're doing with someone's data, you ought to be able to explain in plain language to them how it it's in their interest. Let, let me throw a bit of a curveball here because um, I love everything you're saying and it explains it very well. But and I'm going to use I'm going to reference back to your horizontal description and your vertical description of AI. So the work you're doing as a bank, as a financial institution, or a fintech business uh, startup. It's very vertical. You're focused on your client, building your, your uh, building trust with your systems. Now, I would imagine a lot of this work has got you know something to do with you know non-disclosure agreements. You don't sh- you don't share information. But how does the work you're doing with ATB? How does that play vertically? or pardon me, horizontally, with other organizations, with other, um, and I don't mean sharing data, but I mean sharing the practices you learn from building artificial intelligent models. Is there any sort of data, like, not da- again, not data sharing, but is there any sort of sharing of, of learnings? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think, I think we must. I think, um, I think within, within Calgary, within Edmonton, within, within Alberta, there are uh, many organizations that are struggling with 
uh, both the opportunity and the risks of artificial intelligence. And um, there are many great pockets of thought leadership, both within industry and within academia, um, to that that we need to connect. And so you're right. Well, we don't share our the details of the systems that we build. However, the more we participate in a conversation of the broader conversation within the province and beyond uh, about, well, what is this technology and where is it going? Um, you know, when, when, when we can connect with those technical thought leaders about, um, you know, the, the future of AI as a, as a technology, when we can connect with those policy thought leaders on, you know, what that means for society and, and how we we can create sort of safer legislation, but then what that means for those people who sort of build AI systems, uh, the, you really sort of raise your, your thinking. And, and so I think, um, I think we're able to have those conversations about, hey, look, this is what works and what doesn't work when you're you know, a, a small company and you're trying to build a data science team. And, and here's where we found success in, in building trust and, and why it was so important to have um, you know, governance and security at the table with the data scientists who are building the systems because we knew we know we we need those views at the table. That's I think that's that's just betters everyone. And and so it's it's been very impactful for ATB to be at the table with other organizations in the province and beyond uh, to sort of learn from to learn from them because it is moving so quickly as a, as, a, as a domain that you you really can't afford to not not seek out those conversations and and download those learnings yeah right you can't can't afford to go it alone so so does this mean ian that i can pencil you and uh, some of your team members into an artificial intelligent panel at next year's adventures <laughs> absolutely anytime Woohoo! well count on it because uh i i love this discussion i think again you know the this the knowledge you have and the experience you have with atb i think is uh is is really a great opportunity for other people to learn from you know and i think about the organizations like amy and alta ml and our you know some of our colleagues at organizations like microsoft and what they're doing you know there's a real it it's it, it behooves us to learn to learn more now i i want to dive in a little bit about again your background in cognitive neuroscience how do you go from getting a PhD in cognitive neuroscience to becoming a fellow, a data fellow at ATB. Look, I clearly have no idea what happened. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, uh, look, yeah, it, it is. It is a wild ride. Um, I, I think I was uh, fortunate to um, have great advisors, mm -hmm. um, you know, through who. who Built me up as a as a, a, a scientist who could sort of work in a in a variety of situations, right? Like whatever the I think I think as you're doing a master's, as you're doing a PhD, what you're really learning are the tools of scientific inquiry. And I firmly believe that really what drives data scientists forward and what sets them apart is not so much their ability to to code and to you know uh, build models and put them into production, but it's their ability to ask thoughtful questions to apply the scientific method to interrogate reality and say, okay, well, oh, I like I'm, that. I'm trying to answer this question about the brain, or I'm trying to answer this question about dark matter. Mm -hmm. How am I going to do that 
like what are the parameters what are the data what's the data i need to stream in how would i conceptualize that and then you can begin to apply different sort of uh, ai or statistical models to solve for that problem to get to a reasonable prediction about the world and, and the future and how it might work and, and like that is a general purpose toolkit and I think, I think, you know, as I look across the data science teams that I've been a part of, one of the amazing things is that we all have like really diverse backgrounds. You know, I, my background, cognitive neuroscience, we, we do have physicists who were searching for dark matter. We have engineers, we have um, uh, statisticians. So, know, uh, sorry, have, at ATB? At ATB. Really? At ATB. Physicists searching for dark matter. Everyone and, and and that's where they came from. But what they learned was a toolkit where oh, I get you <laughs> interrogate the world. Yeah, this is there. So so we have folks with masters, other PhDs, and econometrics. Yeah. And, and what's great is we can all come together and we have this common language of science and applied statistics in order to get a job done. And that job is um, at, at APB is about figuring out well, like how can we use data in order to sort of improve things, improve things for the business, improve things for our clients. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so the, the actual personal journey of that was, I guess, me selling out long and short of it. I, 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 <laughs> look, I, I, I had a postdoc lined up. It was very exciting. It was, I was having a, an absolute blast yeah. um, studying the brains of competitive Scrabble players to try to understand uh, how they get good at board games uh, and, and building models of, of the mind and how it works. But, but no, I, I just had an opportunity to lean into industry. And uh, and the upside there is you have the opportunity to build things that have an impact on people's lives. Oh, I love that. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. And you know, when you're talking about studying the brains of competitive Scrabble Scrabble players, you know, didn't uh, um, I can't remember who it was, but Rich Sutton, I, Sutton, I think was was involved with it. But the uh, Texas Hold'em understanding. Yeah you know, the, the, the predictive model of that. And uh, it's absolutely fascinating when I meet people who start off in one field and they end up kind of moving into other areas because really to have that sort of translational knowledge is powerful and impactful and it's inspiring. When I hope, I hope you know, the, the good news here is that um, the, the number of perspectives we need at the table when it comes to something like AI is only only grows and only continues to grow. And and I really do think that, you know, we, we do need the contributions of ethicists. We do need the contributions of computer scientists, of, of um, cognitive neuroscientists, of, of all of these different domains uh, at the table and in order to in order to help sort of build and, and understand the implications of building systems that that can think, that can reason, that you know have uh, that, that humans have to work alongside with or, or can help free up a human to do something more interesting. Um, in that is, is an incredible design space. And, and there are a lot of seats at the table and, and we do a better job, frankly, when, when we fill them, when we fill them with diverse perspectives, or it's not just sort of folks only with a computer science background or only with a data science background. Right. So last, last question, artificial intelligence, generally speaking, you freaked out or are you excited? I'm excited, but appropriately freaked out. <laughs> I like it. Appropriately freaked out. Appropriately freaked out. Okay, it's probably a, it's probably important to be appropriately freaked out about most things. That's that's a, <laughs> that's a, that little bit of healthy dose of scientific skepticism. Did you say? Perhaps yes. The Carl Sagan uh, kit for determining baloney. <laughs> it's very important. Yes, it'll become more important. Honestly, in the next few months, I'm sure. 
Ian, this was uh, uh, an absolute pleasure, and I've been anticipating this conversation since we met at Adventures. Thank you very much for spending your time with me. John, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for the conversation. We'll talk soon. Shift can be found online at shift.albertainnovates.ca or on any streaming service that you prefer. Thanks a lot for joining us today. On behalf of everyone here at Shift, I'm John Hagen.